The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. The Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulphur and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah and towards all the lands of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come in after us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him and he did not know when she lay down and when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. On uh, February 28th, 2021, a man books a white Vauxhall Astra from a car hire in Dover. Three days later, on March 3rd, a woman leaves her home to visit a friend in the Clapham area of London. At 4.45 that same day, the man picks up his car hire. Later that evening, at around 9 p.m., the woman leaves the Clapham area to walk home. Her home is around 2.5 miles away. At 9.13, the woman calls her boyfriend. The call lasts approximately 14 minutes. The woman is next sighted at 9.32 p.m. This would be the last time that she was seen. The following morning at 8.30 a.m., the car hire is returned that evening the woman is reported missing and a mass search ensues. Six days later, on March the 10th, a body is found in the Ashford area of Kent. Dental records identify the body as that of a Miss Sarah Everard. On March 12th at 8.45pm, a man is charged. The man charged is a Mr. Wayne Cousins. July 9th, 2021, the man pleads guilty 
admitting charges of kidnap, rape, and murder. Sarah Everard is abducted, abused, and abandoned. Those are some of the facts of a, a case that has really sparked the national interest in the last number of weeks and months. But as I read out the facts of the case to you, what emotions did it elicit? Perhaps as I read out what happened, you felt a sense of sadness, perhaps even a sense of grief, or maybe you felt angry. And if you felt angry, that phenomena is called righteous anger, and it's aptly named. Aptly named because it's an anger that comes right from the throne of heaven to your very heart. And while as a society we're increasingly not shying away from or apologizing for this kind of demand for justice, it must be said that the Bible doesn't shy away, nor does it apologize for God's justice. And while we might struggle with God's justice, which in this story is, is fire falling from heaven and a woman being turned into a pillar of salt, the truth is if there ever was a society, if there ever was an era that might understand righteous anger, surely it would be our era. If there ever was an era that might just understand God's righteous anger, surely it would be us. With cases like that of Sarah Everard and, and George Floyd and others like it that cause us to cry out for justice. And the reality is, in many respects, we are right to. Because it's, it's how you're like God, bearing his image. And if you've ever cried out for justice in cases like that of the Sarah Everard case, then you, you, you surely understand why God has come in judgment on Sodom here. Because it's the same story. God is responding to men, again, who seek to abduct, abuse, and abandon innocent parties. In this instance, two angels and a man named Lot, and they're judged for it. Meaning that in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, we're meant to be kind of sobered up to the reality that God will one day judge all sin. And with the story of Lot in the midst of the Sodom story, we're meant to be warmed up to the reality of God's mercy in spite of our sin. So we're going to take a look at how not to respond to this mercy. And, and to do that, we're going to be uh, looking at the life of a person I've already mentioned. He's the main character of the story, a man named uh, Lot, a man named Lot. And we're going to try and get into his head and understand what's going on in his heart, something that Glenn uh, began to help us to do last week. So, previously in Genesis, uh, Abraham, the man that we have been tracking for the last number of uh, weeks and months, we learned that he has a relative and his relative is Lot. Uh, Abraham is Lot's uncle. And things start off well for Lot because God calls Abraham on this epic, dynamic, um, adventure of faith and, and Lot comes with him. God calls Abraham to leave his country, his kindred at his father's house and they go on this journey together along with Sarah, uh, Abraham's wife, which really means that this is really history's first ever small group. 
and God would prosper a lot. He would start to increase and gain assets and the small group would really turn into a large group. However, there's a moment in Genesis chapter 13 uh, where there's friction between the two camps, the Abraham and Lot camp. Uh, Lot's shepherds and Abraham's shepherds begin to quarrel, which leads to Lot essentially separating from Abraham. Separating from Abraham. But this separation for Lot is more profound than just kind of looking to get out from under his uncle's kind of household, if you like. It's more profound than just wanting to buy a house in a different area. Because in Lot choosing to separate from Abraham, he is choosing to uh, leave his small group and he begins to distance himself from the people of God. Put simply, Lot is backsliding. Uh, but Lot isn't aimless in what he's doing. He, he, he's got a little bit of a, a plan. Uh, Lot chooses uh, to live in a city called Sodom, which has a, a neighbouring city called uh, Gomorrah. Uh, and in Genesis chapter 13, verse 10, we get an insight into what's going on in Lot's head, into his mind. It says this, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley, where Sodom was located, was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord. That is the Garden of Eden. Lot, in choosing to live in Sodom, was looking to pursue a new Eden, patterned after the old Eden, with the old Eden being a place where uh, all of your desires and appetites could be satisfied, with the old Eden being a place where uh, people could be naked and unashamed. The same things could truly be said about Sodom, with Sodom being an attempt at Eden just without God. And so we actually find at the beginning of chapter 19, opening up the chapter, Lot sitting in the gate of Sodom, it says, sitting in the gate. And as we learnt last week, this, this kind of means that Lot would have been something of an elder in Sodom. He was a, a key mover uh, and shaker in the place. He was uh, a prominent in the city's affairs. Lot was Mr. Sodom. But there was a problem. There's a kind of a big problem. <laughs> because Lot, he believes in God. Lot is a Christian. That's probably something more profound uh, to when it says Lot was found sitting in the gate of Sodom, with him being half in Sodom, yet half out of Sodom. Uh, Lot, Lot is not hot, not cold, he's lukewarm. One foot, Sodom, one foot, kingdom. Peter, 2,000 years later or so, tries to help us with what's going on in Lot's heart. So we've learned what's going on in his mind now, what's going on in his heart. And Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 8, says this, that Lot, he, was tormenting his righteous soul over the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Now, if, if you weren't reading carefully, perhaps I read it a bit fast, you could tend to think that, what Peter just said was that the people of Sodom were tormenting Lot's righteous soul. That's not actually what it says. Peter says, he, that is Lot, he was tormenting his own righteous soul over the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. This means that by Lot choosing to watch with fascination the, the lusts of Sodom, Lot was creating for himself a huge internal conflict as to who he was and his identity. The reality is Lot 
remembers the sincerity of his family's faith and deep down he identifies himself with the reality of God. But at the same time, Lot genuinely enjoys wearing leather trousers and living la vida loca in Sodom. This is Lot. Club Tropicana drinks are free. Fire and sunshine, there's enough for everyone. Lot is loving life in Sodom, but he's conflicted. He's conflicted. He's like, I'm a Christian. Romans chapter 7 tries to help us with this, trying to help us with it. Romans chapter 7 tries to help us with this experience. It tries to detail kind of what it must have been like for Lot living in this strange, weird place. This is what it says. It says in verse 15, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Verse 19 says this, I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Ever been there? This is kind of what Lot is facing. Uh, Lot is struggling so much with leaving his old life in Sodom that he, he pleads and begs to live in Zoar. And what Zoar was, was a city, small city that wasn't a, a million miles away from Sodom. And Lot really wanted to live there, probably because the people of Zoar are, were pretty much like the people of Sodom. The reason I can say that is because it says towards the end of the story that it says Lot was afraid to live in Zoar. Perhaps he was afraid to live in Zoar because they were like the people of Sodom and he just saw the judgment that came upon the people of Sodom. So all of a sudden he's like, whoa, 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 I don't want to live there anymore. That's at the end of the story. But at the beginning of the story, Lot is pleading with the angel to live in Zoar. In fact, the only time that Lot shows any kind of zeal, any kind of chutzpah, is when he's pleading to go to Zoar. Lot is essentially saying, God, okay, I'll leave my old life in Sodom as long as I'm able to live in Sodom light. It's like when God says, Christian, pay your full obligation of tax. And we might say, oh, okay, God, um, I'll pay more tax. I wouldn't pay I would pay for the last penny, of course. I would declare everything because who does that? Or it's like when God says, Christian, stop illegally downloading uh, music and movies. We might say, oh, okay, God, what I'll do is I'll cut down. I'll only have, I'll get one or two songs a month and maybe one movie every two or three months and then that'll be all right, right? Or like when God says, Christian, confess your porn addiction to someone. Or Christian, stop sleeping with your girlfriend oh okay lord well, what i'll do is i won't sleep with okay what we'll do instead is we'll go you know maybe second and third base we'll sort of stay there or, or with the porn thing okay what i'm going to do is maybe tuesdays and thursdays i'll cut down and manage it lot leave sodom leave your old life head for the hills oh, oh lord uh, can i live in zoar a number of years ago i was struggling with um a sin myself and I was um I really I, I really didn't like it but I kind of did I really I, I got Romans 7 that was my jam um sort of 10 12 years ago and I remember very clearly and vividly I asked God about it I come I said God why do I keep stumbling in this area 
And I don't really know why <laughs> I asked him, because I didn't expect him to answer. I don't think I wanted him to answer either. Uh, and to my utter shock, he did answer me. He, he answered me immediately. In fact, it was even more immediate than immediately because it was before I even finished asking the question, he came to me. And, and he, I, know, I know it was God because this, this, these words came into my mind clear as a bell, not anything I was thinking at all. And God said five words to me. I said, God, why am I stumbling in this area? God said, because you don't Fear me. Because you don't fear me. I realised that moment that all these years I've been treating God like my mate in the worst sense of the word. I hadn't been taking his loving, gracious, kind warnings of this. I haven't been taking them seriously. You know, when you're reading the Bible and Jesus, for example, says something, you're like, whoa, that's, that's quite strong. I hadn't been taking those seriously. Oh, yeah, God, he's, he's a God of grace. Oh, yeah, he's, he's kind. Oh, he's patient. Oh, yeah, 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 it says that, but come on. I realized that for years I'd been playing a game of chicken with God. Even, even now, even now, I see strands, traces of this man lot in my life. And if... If I might be so bold, I wonder if you do too. Because as God commands Lot, as God tells Lot to leave Sodom, Lot, leave it, go. Lot drags his heels at the command of God. He, he's lazy, he's leisurely, he's lingering in the face of God's command to him. And this lack of zeal towards God the Father manifested itself in how he was as a husband and father. In that we see a particularly peculiar uh, situation that occurs with his wife. And this is what it says. It says, And God overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. What on earth is that about? Well, the reality is the angel told Lot and his wife and his two daughters to not look back as they fled Sodom. And Lot's wife, she looked back. But it's not, so, not as simple as just Lot's wife looked back. I don't think that's really the issue, that she simply looked back. Uh, the reason I can say that is because in the very next verse, Abraham looks back at Sodom and nothing happens to him. He, he's looking at the, the, the smoke rising from the destruction. And so I, I think that the key here in understanding what's going on is the word that's translated look back, the Hebrew word, actually means to look back, to look with regard to pleasure, to regard with favour or care. Lot's wife looked back at Sodom as a mother looks back on her only child going to their first day of school. Lot's wife would be very different from the other woman in the small group, Abraham's wife, Sarah, who was continually looking forward to the promises of God, where Lot's wife was continually looking back at the fake promises of Sodom. Sarah, Abraham's wife, pursued God and a barren woman was made fertile. 
Lot's wife pursued Sodom and the fertile woman was made barren with salt being a symbol of barrenness. What's happening with Lot's purposefully unnamed wife is that there is something of a, a physical manifestation, if you like, a physical judgment of what was going on all along spiritually. We, all of us, become like what we worship. And Lot's wife became as the city of Sodom, desolate. And, and, and it's, a, it's, it's strange. It's a strange one. Because in looking back on Sodom, with these rose-tinted glasses, with fondness, she, Lot's wife must have been suppressing a whole lot. Because Sodom wasn't, it wasn't good to her. It wasn't. It can't have been. It says, it says in, the, in the passage, it says that the whole city, all of the men in the city, young and old, came out. Now, it's a city. This could have been hundreds of men. This may have even been thousands of men knocking on her front door. What they're looking to do is they're looking to sexually assault her guests and her husband. This, this must have been a traumatic time for Lot's wife. Yet she's looking back at this Sodom with fondness. It's almost like she's, she's kind of being deceived in her mind. It's almost like she's suppressing something. The reality is, though, we, we can all be like that, can't we? <laughs> I don't know if you've ever done this, allowed your mind to wander at a time in your life that you know it didn't do you well. It didn't do you good. You know it. But perhaps you're finding yourself kind of looking back, looking back. Uh, maybe for you it was a previous relationship. You find your mind wandering, looking back. Or, or perhaps it was a time in your life that you lived to excess. The good old days, right? Looking back. Or maybe it's just as simple as looking back to a time just continually before you had children. Looking back. Now, the reality is this, that there's nothing wrong, again, with looking back in itself. The issue is when the looking back is with regard to pleasure, favour or care, a life that if you are a Christian, God has called you out from or at least moved you along from. The reality is, there's just no life in it. It only makes us more salty. And we also see Lot's fatherly failure affect his daughters in one of the most um, ugly uh, parts of the Bible. It says this, And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on the earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him. And there is a sad irony here, because Lot offered the men of Sodom the opportunity to take advantage of his daughters, yet it would be his daughters that end up taking advantage of Lot. But by taking advantage of Lot after he was stinking drunk, they became like the men of Sodom. They became predators. They likely went to the school of Sodom, learning its ways without Lot as a father, as a father effectively instilling something of the God of Abraham in them. 
Lot was a rubbish gardener. He's a rubbish gardener. He was looking for Eden, the garden of the Lord. Yet he failed to tend to the most important garden of all. The garden that God had given him, him primary charge over, responsibility over. The garden of his family. He would be like Adam, his father, allowing snakes to waltz in unchallenged into his garden. And he'd end up like Adam, naked, ashamed, cast out of a place that was once his home. And, and this, this isn't just kind of, oh, well, okay, you know, it's my life and, you know, I make mistakes. You know, this is only if I choose to mess up my life like Lot. No, 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 no. It's not just your life. It isn't. Because what Lot was doing was he was pulling the pin on the grenade in his life, but he was also throwing a generational pin forward. Generational grenade, specifically. This is what was going on, because through the children that he would have with his daughters, they would become the, the Moabites and the Ammonites, two tribes that would be, become enemies of the people of God for generations, worshipping the false god Molech, practising child sacrifice, even getting the people of Israel to come in on the act, causing them to be judged. No, it's not just about you, especially if you're a guy. It's not just about you. It goes forward. That's the reality. And what we see here is we see Lot, he didn't get his Eden in the end. He didn't get it. But he got in many ways a version of this culture's Eden. One version of it. Because it says Lot ends up living in a cave. It says literally, so he lived in a cave. Genesis 19, verse 13. Lot lived in a cave, or as we might call it, a man cave. Isolated from the rest of the world, in the darkness, likely depressed, eating Doritos, getting drunk, and doing things sexually that should have caused him a great deal of shame. This isn't a man. Thank God then for Jesus, who has mercy on him. So much mercy that Jesus would send his angel to rescue him and his family. But Jesus didn't just send his angel and kind of sit back on his cloud in heaven. By no means, no. Jesus is he's right at the centre, right at the centre of this story. Because it would be Jesus that is staying his hand of judgment, waiting patiently for Lot and his family to get out of Sodom. And as Jesus stays his hand of judgment, we see, he sees this scene develop before him. This is what happens. It says, and the men of Sodom called to Lot, saying, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them sexually. You imagine at this point, Lot's shoulder up against the door of his home as hundreds, perhaps even thousands of men approach. Then this happens. They say, stand back. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man lot, drew near to break the door down. 
And as Jesus stays his hand of judgment, what, what begins to unfold is a preview. As Jesus witnesses a crowd turn on Lot, baying from, for his flesh, desiring to strip him naked, pin him down. It's a preview because Jesus would not only save Lot from a dishonorable death on this day, Jesus would save Lot from a dishonorable death on the judgment day. And the way Jesus would do that is by switching places with Lot. So that it would be Jesus that was mistreated, Jesus that was stripped naked, Jesus that was pinned down, Jesus that was abused. Jesus would be treated as unrighteous so that lots would be made righteous. And Jesus wouldn't be like Lot's wife. No, 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 no. Jesus would do the opposite. The Bible says Jesus didn't look back. No, Jesus set his face like flint towards his destiny, a Roman crucifixion, bearing the sins of the world on his own back. Jesus would not be like Lot, who would drag his heels running away from judgment. Instead, Jesus would choose to sprint into our judgment. Fire rained down on him from God the Father in heaven on the cross. And through it, choosing to save those who through faith would come to love him. Jesus would come and take responsibility for a situation, take responsibility for a mess that was not his. He would be a real man. Meaning that Jesus did not come 2,000 years ago to, to, to send fire from heaven on you. No, Jesus came 2,000 years ago to send fire from heaven to you. The person of the Holy Spirit, his power, his presence. Jesus didn't come to, to put you to shame. Jesus made sure that he would come so that through faith, you would not be put to shame on the judgment day that is to come. So far and so effective is the work of Jesus. The Bible would go so far as to call Lot righteous Lot. Righteous Lot. Hang on, Lot. Isn't Lot the last person that should be called righteous? Maybe. But Jesus chose him and loved him and saved him out of that. What a wonderful and great salvation this is. But it's a tricky one. Because it's perhaps at this point you expect me to say, and the grace of God came to Lot and his life was changed. And he moved from being on the, the bad path to a good path. He was on a negative trajectory, now he's on a positive trajectory. He's not, you know, he's not perfect, but he's going the right direction. I wish I could say that, but that just simply is not the case. Because Lot would be saved... As the Bible puts it, only as through the flames. Lot would make it to the gate of heaven, but he'd make it to the gate of heaven smelling like he smoked 20 Marlboro Lights. Lot, 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 is, Lot is dull. Lot is living compromised, defeated, passionless for God, despite the mercy that's been shown to him. So it is a strange one. He's in heaven but kind of only just. He, he's living in a place of judgment in a cave, yet he has passed through the judgment, preferring to live in the darkness of a cave 
rather than in, than in the light and with the people of God. Meaning that while we can celebrate the salvation of Lot, we can, we certainly can't celebrate the fact that he did absolutely nothing with it. A zero passion Christian. So friends, let me say this to you. With the same zeal that the angel spoke with Lot, to a Lot with. Lot, leave Sodom. Lot, leave Sodom now. Lot, you've got to go. Lot, this is not a drill. I am being serious. Lot, do not dither. Do not dawdle. Do not delay. Lot, you must leave Sodom right now. Lot, God is not joking. He's not playing games here. Lot, run. Unlike Lot, it is with that same zeal that you must now take decisive even radical steps to leave all that is Sodom in your life and start to serve the living God. And that might mean for you, that might mean for you making a big decision right now. A big decision, a life-altering decision, but you know it's right. It might mean for you making a number of smaller decisions, equally as important, but smaller decisions and not looking back, following through, all the time asking God for his help, yet being resolute, utterly, utterly determined to press on and follow through. And there is no time like now. The restrictions have lifted. It's a new, new day, a new season. Why not come? Begin this adventure of serving God. Come and join us in person next week. In person. Come. This is what Haggai chapter 2 says to all of us. This is the season that we're in. If you're a Christian, this is for you. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when I came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your Midst, fear not, for the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. This is who you are. This is who you are. Therefore, you don't belong sat in the gate of Sodom, half in, half out. You belong building the church so that the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against it. You belong sat in heavenly places with Jesus and all in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your warnings in Scripture. We thank you that they are just as much grace as your kindness. We thank you that they are your kindness. And Lord, we ask in Jesus' name for you to help us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We confess we cannot do this in and of our own selves. We need your power at work in us. So, Heavenly Father, would you come and help us first to lift our eyes to you, receive your spirit, worship you, enjoy your presence without guilt or shame or condemnation. Would you help us to follow through in the power of the Holy Spirit? 
to not just know that if we're Christians that we're, we've been made righteous, but to, to live, to live righteous. Give us zeal, Heavenly Father, for your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, amen.